0: Hello and welcome to the Helping Hand podcast. My name is Pauline Shannon. I'm a mother of three and a reflex integration therapist. Each week I will be meeting someone who helps children and families. I will be asking them what they do and how they do it. We will learn how different therapies can help, how to choose which is right for you and how to find them when you need them. Today, I'm speaking with Elaine Halligan from The Parenting Practice. Elaine is a parenting coach, speaker and author of My Child is Different. She doesn't claim to be Wonder Woman or Super Nanny or Mary Poppins or Nanny McVie. She's been in your shoes. She's been at the end of her tether wondering why her child is different and what she could do to support him. She learned firsthand the skills it takes not just to survive the struggle, but to get to the other side and change the story. And I'm very pleased to have Elaine here today to share that story with us. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to be here and
1: it's just lovely to speak to someone north of the border (laughs) because I'm down in Wimbledon SW19 and I hail from Edinburgh. So it's really lovely to meet you, Pauline.
0: So how did you get into the work you do and what work do you do,
1: Elaine? Wow. Well, they are two huge questions to start with. So let me take the first one, which is how did I get into the work I do? Um, I run a business called The Parent Practice and the thing about parenting is that I think nobody prepares you for the pitfalls. And you kind of spend months dealing with pregnancy and the pros and cons of kind of different pain relief for the birth, but nobody explains the reality of what it's like to have children. And when I had my firstborn, Sam, who is now 25, I really enjoyed the first two years of his life. But when the toddler years struck, oh my goodness, my world imploded. And I have to be really honest with you here, and say that I found parenting one of the most exhausting, kind of overwhelming, um, confusing jobs I think I've ever done. And what happened was at the age of two, I started, and Stam started at nursery, I started to get these kind of report cards, you know, at the age of two, and I'd be told, oh, your son can't sit in circle start time. Um, he's really high energy and he never listens. And I'm thinking, well, He's only two and he's a boy isn't that normal and then i'd be told actually your son's quite aggressive and then you know we need a couple of people to manage him and he's pushing other children and it was like every time i was met at the nursery gate i was met with this report card of kind of problems and it, it became very quickly that my beautiful blonde blue-eyed boy was labeled as the naughty one so i came into parenting kind of in crisis And um, to kind of tell you what the the story is, by the age of seven, our beautiful blonde blue-eyed boy had been expelled from three schools in so many years. And I I kind of sensed that Sam was different. You know how you have that, that gut instinct that something's not right? And I would say to people, I'm just not sure about Sam's behavior. And everyone would say to me, oh, he's just a boy or, um, oh, he's so young, he'll grow out of it, or you're worrying about nothing. And I don't know whether this makes sense to you, Pauline, all your listeners, but you know, a parent's instinct is really powerful. And I encourage all the clients that I coach to kind of trust their instinct. You're the expert in your child. And, and something was telling me that, that Sam was just differently wired, but nobody would listen. And so at the age of five, he started his first school. And I think we lasted nine months. And oh my goodness, I've got so many stories from from that first year at school, which I can laugh about now. But at the time, oh my goodness, it felt like our world was imploding. And I'll never forget a phone call I got from the school. Um, I think it was in the first term, to say that Sam has let all the farmyard animals out. (laughs) And he went to a school in Wimbledon where there was a little farmyard and there was I think there was a a hen, some hens, a sheep, a goat and some ducks. And he had this idea and, you know, he was in the right place. His intentions and motivations were good. He had this idea that these farmyard animals should be living up on the Wimbledon Common behind the school. So he waited till everyone had gone into school and then opened the gate the animals didn't migrate to the common. They all migrated down to the busiest arterial road in London and age five, our son was responsible for causing traffic chaos in the kind of the center of kind of um, on the outskirts of, of London. So his behavior was different. So how did I come into this work? I came into this work actually in crisis and after his first school placement had failed, the second one in a state school failed very quickly. And the third placement in a special educational needs school also failed within 10 weeks. And so by the age of seven, I had a beautiful blonde blue-eyed boy who I kind of sense was like a rock covered in mud. And I knew my job was to kind of wipe away the mud to see what was underneath. And I just sensed, Pauline, that I had an extraordinary child who was completely misunderstood.
0: Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love the stress you put on parents knowing, even just because other people can't measure things right now doesn't mean that you're wrong. Yeah, I think trust your
1: gut. And I had the sense that, that he was an extraordinary child who just learned differently. But here's the thing about society is that we have a very rigid view of education. We have a very rigid definition of what success looks like. And it was very clear that our son was a different learner, but there was a huge disconnect between his intelligence levels, and he clearly was a highly intelligent young man, and his performance in school. And and all the evidence and the signs were there that he actually had a specific learning difficulty, but but no one knew, or no one stopped to question. And I still find that incredibly baffling that our education system fails to train teachers in just some of the basics of looking for and I always say there are three kind of main categories here. They need to look for maybe social and communication issues. They need to look for whether there's any specific learning difficulties that may mean that they cognitively process information differently. And they also need to look for any neurological conditions such as um, ADHD. But I find our education system fails to do that. And, and, and throughout Sam's early education, what was so evident now was that he was not being a problem at school but he was having a problem and i think it was really difficult for the adults around to kind of press that pause button and just say yep this child's not being a problem he's having a problem be curious what can we do to help him so the story is and i'm sorry if i'm rambling on but it's it's quite it's quite um it's quite a big story because it forced me to give up my career and retrain as a behavioral specialist because we spent 2 years in cams now i don't know what the equivalent is in scotland but down in england cams is the child adolescent and mental health service do you have that in scotland
0: yeah it's it's the same here but it can be very
1: hard to get them it's very under-resourced and so um we're talking about you know 15s 17 years ago now but we did manage to access CAMS and what happened in CAMS was an extraordinary experience because after two years of assessments and diagnoses Sam ended up as what I call the alphabet kid and I literally was given I think about seven what I call TLA's I call them my TLA's my three letter abbreviations and I'm going to test you here Pauling and I know you know all this you know
0: ASC I don't know that one. Oh, autistic spectrum condition. Oh, condition, we say disorder.
1: Yeah, the, the, the manual's changed.
0: They, they don't call disorder now, they call it condition, um, ASC. Um, he then was diagnosed. That's part of the problem when you're looking for help because the terminology changes so fast. Good, good, good point. And if anyone's listening to this podcast
1: who has a child with dyspraxia, that is now called DCD, developmental coordination disorder. So so he was labeled firstly with dyslexia. Well, no, not dyslexia. He was labeled with autistic spectrum condition. They said, we think he's Asperger's. And I kind of thought that's really odd because everything I read about Asperger's is the antithesis of Sam. So that didn't sit well, It didn't make sense to me. Then we were told he had pragmatic semantic language disorder. Okay, what does that mean? Well, he was struggling to process instructions. And then the nonsense started. And I was told that he had ODD, Oppositional Defiance Disorder. Then I was told he had PDA. And I don't mean to make light of this, but you know, most people say PDA—that public displays of affection. No, pathological demand avoidance. And add on to that ADHD, and, and oh my God, I just said enough, 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 enough. We have a child in the syndrome mix. And that syndrome mix is incredibly confusing. And so the story is: between the age of seven and nine, he was out of school for two years because we could not find an educational placement that would work for him.
0: Can I ask you something, Elaine? Just because we've had such a um, a list of TLAs but diagnoses, did you find? that getting a diagnosis actually opened services to you?
1: So that's an interesting question. I found the diagnoses were incredibly helpful in order for us to have empathy with what was happening in our son's life. So knowing that he struggled with impulsivity, executive functioning, sitting still was useful. Knowing that he was dyslexic enabled us to kind of differentiate the curriculum. But here's the thing the only thing we were offered was medication. And that medication was completely inappropriate for him at his age. What we weren't offered was what I now provide, which is the practical, pragmatic parenting advice to help us know how to manage these challenging children. And can I tell you, he was challenging. He was intense, he was highly sensitive, and he was incredibly impulsive. And actually, as I said at the beginning, no one presents you with this parenting manual. So I kind of say lucky you if you have a child who's a dandelion. Have you heard the dandelion orchid research? No, I haven't. Oh, It's lovely, it's from Professor um, John Boyce. And he says, understanding children's temperament is key. And if you have a dandelion child, they're robust, they're resilient, they're strong, you kind of knock them over. And what happens to a dandelion? It popped back up again. I didn't have a dandelion. I I have a daughter who's a dandelion. But Sam was my orchid child. And orchids take very careful handling and nutrition in order to make them blossom. And the interesting thing was at CAMS, we were offered medication. We were offered assessment after assessment after assessment. We got our diagnoses and we were just left.
0: And I didn't know what to do. I think that's the whys behind this podcast. People wait for a diagnosis, often taking a long time. And I'm hoping that through this, people will realize that their children are not the only ones like that out there. And they are children. And we can deal with the the things that that particular child presents rather than needing to have a diagnosis to put them into that we can then treat.
1: Yes, I hear what you're saying. And and I think for us, the diagnosis was useful because we had an understanding then and an empathy. But obviously, the diagnosis is the first part of this journey you're on. It's the first part of the roadmap. Because once you've got the diagnosis, um, you know, yes, you can treat ADHD with medication. But where do you go? How do you handle a child who's struggling to access education, whose self-esteem is on the floor, who struggles with anger management, who who has issues with impulsivity and self-regulation. And I think we're very poor in offering really comprehensive services. And at the end of the day, the most important thing, I believe in managing a challenging child is for the parents to have their toolkit of skills, to know how to stay calm in the moment, but most importantly, to know how to keep connecting and communicating Because if you have a challenging child, it's very, very hard to keep connecting because you just want to correct that behavior. So the story ends that I retrained as a behavioral specialist. I gave up my job in the city and I started and I met my former business partner, Melissa Hood, who's been the most inspirational person in our lives. And um, together, the parent practice was formed and we offer positive parenting classes, bespoke coaching, and online courses, just to help families, A, have more harmony at home. And it's not just for families of neurodiverse children. It just so happens that I came into this work through having a really challenging child. And actually, I've just written a book, well, I say just, it was a couple of years ago, called My Child's Different. And it is the story of of how we helped Sam find his potential. And having been expelled from three schools in so many years, what happened is Sam eventually um, with his newfound self-worth and self-esteem actually finished school as head boy and is now uh, a budding entrepreneur. So the, the story is fascinating because I tell the story of how we helped Sam My parenting coach, my former business partner, Melissa, kind of gives the parenting skills piece. And the most unusual thing about this book is I capture Sam's voice. And I spent a whole year interviewing Sam about his experiences at school. And so what's fascinating is you get the voice of the young adult in the book, reflecting on what it was like for him as a child to have been labeled naughty, stupid, silly. And even in one school, he was physically restrained. And he talks very deeply and emotionally about the impact that had on him. So, so it's a very unique book with um, three voices, super quick read. And the dads all tell me they read it in a weekend and it's the first parenting book they've read. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a really long answer to your first question. And I can't I can't even remember what your second question
0: was now. <laughs> it, it was what do you offer? And you've listed the things you offer, but can you. Give us a flavour of what it is. If I come to you for a one-to-one, what kind of thing might you offer me? What kind of support or uh, what might I? What might you be asking me to do?
1: Yeah, so, I've, yeah, Pauline, that's a really good question because I'll be giving you homework to do. <laughs> so one of, one of the first things when people come to me for bespoke coaching is I say to them, do share with your children that you've got a parenting teacher. Do share with the kids that you're coming to me In order to be the best parent you can be and that Elaine, your parenting teacher, is going to give you homework to do. So what happens in a initial consultation is we meet for 90 minutes and over the last year obviously it's been via Zoom which has been just a joy. Um, I've always believed strongly that parent coaching can be done uh, virtually as well as in, in life, actually, and I'm finding that we've got clients now coming from all over the world uh, to do parent coaching, which is which is just fabulous. The whole market has opened up, and the first thing I'd do with a new client is we'd start to understand their child. We'd start to understand their temperament, because if we can't understand temperament and understand their needs, maybe socially and maybe also educationally, we can't begin to unlock that parenting door, so that's the first part of any initial consultation, And then the second piece will be to deliver some really practical, pragmatic skills. So what often happens is interesting. As I say to people, I'm not a therapist and I'm not a counsellor. So I am a solution focused parenting coach. You come to me with your problems and with your permission, I will be giving you some advice and some structure of how to deal with that. And I can't tell you, Pauline, the number of parents I get who say, gosh, we have been through pillar and post to psychiatrists, to psychologists, to therapists, to counsellors. And actually what we needed was this. We needed to fill up our own toolkit of skills to know how, as parents, to manage challenging children and manage intense outbursts or to manage anger. So, So once we've established who your child is and explored their strengths, because everything I do in my work... Is about maximizing children's potential so firstly it's about accepting if they're a different learner and if they're maybe not academic how can they access education in a different way and education let me tell you is not all about those 10a stars at GCSE. forgive me you've got a different system in scotland or, or your hires or, or whatever your national Yes, I'm sounding a bit ignorant. Sorry, I'm just down south to the different education system. It is not about that. It's about teaching them the skills and qualities that they're going to be able to use to cope in 21st century life. Because what we're seeing now more than ever is that our young adult children, who may have been kind of committed to a kind of preordained path of going to university after school, now obviously are not experiencing that, how are they coping? How are they problem solving? So everything I do with clients is about, it's about, build, for the child, it's about building up self-esteem. It's about helping parents know how to create emotionally intelligent children who, who are gonna communicate with their words and not their actions and how they feel, yeah? Who, who are empathetic to other people. It's about building up self-worth, self-esteem, emotional intelligence, and ensuring that we create young adults who can cope with life's knocks. And I don't think we're very good at that in the traditional education system if we just focus purely on academic attainment.
0: That's fantastic, Elaine. I find there's so little support out there for parents. And no matter what is being done with the child at school or through the doctors, the parents take them home every single day and have to go through that. So I think the support you offer, sounds amazing. What age groups do you work with?
1: So I say that the skills that I deliver work from two to 82. (laughs) And actually they work brilliantly on my eldest and he's turning 60 next year. So so look, look. the skills that we deliver actually are are life skills, but they're, they're, they're skills that work in the home and in the workplace. But realistically, the age group I work with is kind of two to 18, but I never see the children. I always work with the parents. I always arm the parents first, because here's the thing. When you start touting your children to professionals and for assessments, then they're not silly. They'll often stop and think, what's wrong with me? So the first bus to get on It is let's arm the parents with the skills to know how to connect and communicate differently and to know how to bring out the best in their children. And so I deliver online parenting courses where I do um, people um, self-study and then we come together for six weeks and we do live coaching. And actually, I've got a client from Edinburgh just now in that group. That's, That's great. You know, going online has meant that more people can access our work. And after that six weeks, if things are still not significantly changed, I will then kind of be more curious, invite the parents to be more curious, because there may be something else missing in the jigsaw puzzle. But here's the thing. The first place to get on is to arm yourself with the practical skills to know what to do, what to say in the moment. And then obviously, if there are some learning difficulties there, or we suspect there are. I I will be referring people on to an educational psychologist to get a good cognitive report of how your child learns. Or it could be that there are some sensory issues there and they may need to access occupational therapy. So so my antennae are out. I can read a set of client background forms and immediately I can sense if there's anything else going on here in addition to maybe parents and, and see how much of this resonates with you how many of us nag our children, repeat instructions, uh, cajole, uh, mind, threaten, bribe, shout, and ultimately, you know, as a parent, I didn't recognize myself because I started screaming like a banshee when my kids wouldn't get ready in time and put their shoes on to get out the door in the morning. So, look, let's work with the parents first to see whether we can arm you with the skills to be in charge as opposed to be overly controlling. And if there are other issues there, yeah, maybe parents need to be signposted for additional support. But before
0: looking for that additional support, always fill up your own toolkit. One of the good things I think that's come out of the pandemic is the amount of different services that people have access to online, no longer location dependent. It's a dream, isn't it?
1: And I wanted this in my business probably for the last two or three years, but actually my clients wouldn't have come with me and my team wouldn't have come with me because there was some real resistance to online learning. But actually, if you think about it, those live classes we all need personal contact, no question about that. But those live classes of an evening were challenging for a lot of parents. They had to get babysitters in. They were expensive, quite stressful traveling. And so bringing this work into the comfort of your own home without babysitters, where you can learn together if you're parenting together as a couple, um, it's a deep joy. So I'm with you, Pauline. I think COVID has presented some businesses with extraordinary opportunities and I feel very privileged to be part of that to have had the opportunity to remodel um, the business and to be reaching far more people
0: if people want to reach you elaine how do they go about it
1: so so that's very easy they can access me via the website um www.theparentpractice.com and what they'll find there is a range of products and i had a lot of fun over christmas developing what I call my 30-day positive parenting course. And I spent quite a lot of time, actually, there's a lot of development time in this, filming 30 very short videos. And I have a program called 30 Days, 30 Tips, 30 Pounds. Because I wanted to make parenting kind of accessible for as many people as possible, because I know a lot of the services are really expensive. And um, with that program, I'm hoping as many people as possible can access it. And it's a really gentle startup. It takes you through everything you need to know about positive parenting. Um, And when people do that course, they often then think, oh, I'd like to get a bit more knowledge and information. And so every month I offer a webinar and I have a webinar on a variety of different topics from screen time sanity to um, next month's one is about girls and friendships. And June is about boys and their emotional world so loads of little topics and so those webinars are on offer every month Um, I then offer the um, online parenting course which is e-learning together with group live coaching which again is a really great six-week product and then I do also my bespoke coaching which I just love and I can't give up and I know I can only do so many people but um, I just love working with people one-to-one I then go into schools as well. So actually what's happened is I'm getting school bookings from all over the country as well. Uh, and I've even been into my daughter's old school up in Edinburgh yeah. and did some teacher training, which was really, really, that that's really valuable work when you can get in and speak to the teachers. So yeah, people find me at theparentpractice.com. I've got an Instagram and a Facebook account and um yeah just have a wee look at the website and they can also sign up and just get a free download Pauline, um i think it's the 10 ways to kind of create
0: happy calm contented children sounds like fantastic resources that you offer i'm so pleased that we were able to connect it's not something i've come across elsewhere and the fact that you're online and available so easily accessible to so many people thank you you are more than welcome it's a pleasure speaking bye for now You've been listening to the Helping Hand podcast, connecting families with help and support when they need it. If you want more information or to find a therapist near you, go to helpinghandonline.co.uk.